Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly, Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Matthew Bierman shares his Thanksgiving message titled, Thankful for What? from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 18. And now, here's Matt. Um, thank you for having me here this morning. Um, so it's Thanksgiving, and when Phil Donaldson asked me to speak, this was back in May, I thought to myself, okay, well, it's one of those special Sundays, because Thanksgiving, Easter, Christmas, Mother's Day, Father's Day, I thought, well... What am I going to speak about? Because it's, it's easy on Thanksgiving to say, well, you know, we should be thankful. So let's be thankful. And, um, you know, I could read a bunch of verses and says, you know, we should give thanks to the Lord. And those are all well and good. But what I wanted to speak to you about this morning is, is that what do we do when we're not thankful? If you're like me, there are times when I, I really struggle with that. Times when I've shown up for Christmas, sure doesn't feel like Christmas in my heart, right? You know, you come to Easter time, that pinnacle of the, the Christian experience, right? Christ dying on the cross and purchasing my atonement. And my heart's far away from that. I'm wandering all over the place. I'm dealing with a bunch of navel-gazing and just struggling. So this morning, the purpose of my message, well, the title of my message is Thankful for What?, And um, not that there isn't anything to be thankful for, but for us to ask ourselves this morning, what are we thankful for? What should we be thankful for? And um, if we have the right answer to that, we will be thankful more and more, regardless of what we're going through, regardless of what we experience in our world, in our churches, in our families, in our personal lives. So I want you to turn with me this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll be um, reading from verse 7 to verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'll start reading at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. 
For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before your word this morning, Lord, I pray that you will speak to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts. And Lord, as we uh, bow before you and uh, listen to you, Lord, we pray that what we know not, Lord, please teach us. Lord, what we have not, please give us. And Lord, what we are not, Please make us. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what I would like to do with our passage this morning is look at what Paul has to say about his life and his perspective on why we should be thankful, how he looks at his life in the Lord. I'm not usually very good at, uh, you know, pulling up four really snappy points. I usually can't figure out four words that all start with the same letter and all that kind of thing. But I surprised myself. I have one for you this morning. So as we look at this passage, there are four things I want us to look at. First of all, I want to look at Paul's perspective. Secondly, look at his persecution. Thirdly, his promises. And second, and last of all, his perspective. No, I didn't get these from somebody else. I actually did get those for myself. Now, verse, or, uh, the, the, the first uh, thing that we need to realize is, is that when Paul is talking about his life, he says in verse 7, he wants them to remember that who they are and who Christ is. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So Paul is talking about this treasure. And what is this treasure? You go back to verse 1 of chapter 4. And then 
you go back again to chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, and Paul is talking about this treasure being the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, this is the treasure that we have. We have the gospel. We have the good news. And I think one of the things we need to remember is, is that no matter what we're dealing with in this life, no matter what we're dealing with in our present age, and all of the folly and sin and depravity that we are falling into as a society, we need to remember Yeah, it can be discouraging sometimes, but we have the good news of the gospel. And no matter what somebody is dealing with, no matter what perspective they're coming from, what kind of background they've come from, they need the the gospel. And we have it. The only thing that can make any sense to their life, the only thing that can give them eternal life, peace with God, is the gospel. That's it. That's the only answer. Critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, white oppression, all of these things, all these things that people are clawing at to say we need to right these wrongs, we need to rebalance things, we need to shake things up, we need to get rid of our police forces, we need to do this, we need to do that. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that none of these things will work. None of them will. Because they are the inventions of men. They are the philosophies of men. And you know what? They will all fail. However, the good news of the gospel will always, always change people. Always will. And that's what we need. So this treasure, this gospel, we have it. And what does Paul say? It's a great thing. And it's in jars of clay, which is us. So in Paul's time, a jar of clay, a clay pot, basically is what he's talking about, was a pretty um, menial, um, inexpensive, cheap, uh, disposable object that they had in their homes. They would use it to store things in sometimes to keep keep documents or keep some of their valuables uh, together. But clay pots mostly were used for garbage And, unfortunately, human waste as well. And Paul says, you know what, we need to remember, we have this great thing, the gospel, and it's in us, which are clay pots. We need to remember who we are. So this great thing that God has given to us is not great because it's in me, because all I am is a garbage can. That's all I am. Something that if I drop, it's like, oh, well, I'll go get another one. Right? It's not about me. It's about him. Another message about today that people don't want to hear. It's not about you. It's about Christ. Right? So, Paul talks about this position that we have. And secondly, he goes on to say, things aren't great right now for me. Persecution is... Pretty tough. And he uses several descriptive words as we go through this passage. He talks about being afflicted. And this word in the Greek talks about, it's a picture of grapes being pressed out. So Paul is being afflicted. He's got the pressure on him and he's being squeezed. 
We all know what that's like certain times in our lives. He says, I am afflicted, squeezed, but he says, I am not crushed. So I'm not completely done. I may be squeezed and I may be getting a little thinner in the press, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not completely destroyed. And then he goes on to say he, he is perplexed. Now this word means to be without resources, to be in dire straits, to be left wanting, to be embarrassed, to be in doubt, to not know which way to turn. We all, we all get that feeling, right? But he says, I have this, I'm experiencing this, there are times when I feel like I don't know which way to turn. However, I am not in despair, which means I am not without hope. So even though these difficulties are upon him, I have hope in these straits that I'm in. And then he goes on to say that he is persecuted. Now, persecuted in the uh, Greek has um, the, the, the idea of being harassed, of being troubled, to be molested, to be persecuted, to be mistreated on the count of something that you believe in. And Paul says, this is me. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. I'm being persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. Forsaken uh, has the idea of being totally abandoned or deserted. So he says, on the one hand, I'm afflicted, I'm pressed on every side, but I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed. I have a hard time making sense of things sometimes, but I'm not without hope. I'm persecuted. For the things I believe in, I'm molested and harassed on every side, but I am not totally abandoned. And finally, he says, I am struck down, but not destroyed. Now, struck down in this passage, he uses a Greek word called uh, katabello, which in the Greek uh, culture was a word used for a wrestling move when someone grabs somebody else and takes them and slams them to the ground. He says, that's me. That's me. That's what I'm dealing with. Sometimes I'm, I'm struck down. I'm thrown to the ground by the circumstances, sometimes by the people that he is being um, persecuted by. But he says, I am not destroyed which means I am not, this isn't killing me. I'm still alive. I'm still here. Right? I'm not, I haven't perished. I haven't been ruined by this. So, although this is happening to me, I'm still here. I'm, my life is still here. I'm still here for the Lord. And so for, for this portion of the Scriptures, he gives these pictures of what he's dealing with and there's always that sense of hope in the Lord there's always this sense that in all of these things yeah it's pretty tough and when you read in other passages of scripture when Paul describes the things 
that he had to go through, the beatings that he had to endure, the, the, uh, the stripes that he took, the whippings that he took. He was stoned and left for dead. He's been abandoned. He's been left wanting. He's worked hard. Many times he would tell people, I don't want your money. I'm going to come here and I'm going to work on the side so that I don't have to burden you with, with having to, to support me. I mean, Paul was, in, in so many ways, what, what an example that it, it blows your mind to think of all the things that he did. And in all of these things and in all of the difficulties, he always has this hope. Yeah, it's tough, but I have the Lord. Yeah, it's tough, but they haven't got me yet. Right? They haven't got me yet. So, in this persecution, he goes on to say in verses 10 and 12, or 10 to 12, I'm just going to flip over so I'm not looking at my notes so much. He says the same thing twice to them about how in his body he is carrying around the death of Christ, and yet, he also has the life of Christ being shown through him. And what he's saying in all of this is that although he has suffering these things, he says, we live who are always being given over to death for Christ's sake. In verse 10, he says, always carrying in the body the death of Christ um, in both of those, he says, you know, as I live and as I am persecuted and as I go through these difficulties, and you see it, and as people persecute him, they see it. You know, the Jewish people hated him. Hated him, and, and when you look and you read through Acts, all of the times when Paul would go to a new town, who were the people that wanted him dead, that wanted him out of the town, that wanted him silenced. It was the Jews. It was the Jews who would stir up everyone, his own people. And in all of these things, Paul says, you know what? I always carry around in me the, the, the death of Christ so that the life of Christ may be manifested in me. What he's saying is, is that, yeah, you know what? There's, there's tough times. There's difficulty. I, I feel like I'm, I'm dying in Christ in these difficulties. But these things are being done because through that, through the suffering that Paul is going through, people are seeing the glory of who Christ is. Because people will go, well, why, why does he keep going? Why does he keep talking about this Jesus Christ? Even though we do all kinds of terrible things to him, even though we say all kinds of things about him, we try and chase him out of town, we've even tried to kill him, why does he keep talking about this Christ? Why does he? And we need to remember that as well, that you know the, the difficulties that come in life uh, definitely the Lord is there to teach us. 
things as we go through them. But we always have to remember that we are a shining light to those around us as we go through difficulty. And the encouragement that other people can get from seeing us glorify God in our difficulties can lead people to the Lord, can give strength to others who are suffering the same things, and can also uh, remind people that, hey, you know what? This life has difficulties coming for all of us. I had... um, Friends of ours, uh, you would probably know them too, uh, Mal and Doris Radcliffe. Uh, Mal got cancer, and cancer took him pretty quickly. And um, the encouragement that I received from talking with him and his wife as they are looking down at the next couple months, knowing, knowing that Mal's going to die, Knowing he's not going to be there, probably not at Christmas time. Didn't even make it to Thanksgiving. Right? But what are they talking about? They're talking about the peace that God gives them, the reassurance that Mal is going to be with his Savior, his body is going to be new. All of the things, all of the difficulties that come with this life, the sin, that is in us and all around us, is gone. Right? What an encouragement it was to me. Mal is dying. He's facing terrible things. And yet he's encouraging me by the things that he has to say and the attitude that he lives as he's going through it. And we all have that duty to do that as we suffer. Because people are watching. We are not islands unto ourselves. Now, Paul gives us the right position. It's not about us, it's about Christ. Paul tells us about his persecution, that in all of these difficulties he is still alive because God is keeping him there. And that in these difficulties... God is being glorified. Christ is being glorified. Now, promises. As we go to verses 13 to 15, he says this. He says, according, or sorry, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Paul is referring to uh, Psalm chapter 166, verse 10. And the psalmist in that... um, song of praise to the Lord says that I believed, therefore I have spoken. And Paul uses that and says, this is the reason why I speak now. This is the reason why I continue to speak the good news of the gospel. And it's because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's my faith in him 
It's my faith in his promises. It's my faith in his person that drive me and encourage me and strengthen me to speak. Paul's living out the reality of the gospel in his life. And he says, really, like, what else am I going to do except say it and tell it? And I think for each one of us, it is a encouragement and sometimes a rebuke that why is it that we don't say what we believe? Why are we hesitant to broach that subject with the people around us? Because Paul says, because of that faith, because that faith is in me, I have to speak. I have to say it. And he says, the, the, the promise that he's dealing with is the promise of the resurrection, the glorious truth of the gospel that someday he will be raised with Christ, just as Christ himself was raised up. And then he says that all he does is for their sake. He does all of these things for the sake of the church and ultimately for the glory of God in verse 15. Because he says, for all things are for your sake, that grace, having spread throughout the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. He says, this is why I do what I do. I do these things because I'm resting in the hope of the resurrection, the good news of the gospel. And I do it because the more I do it and the more people who become saved, the more people who are joined to the church, all this does is bring more glory to God. Because more and more and more and more people are being added to Christ's church, to his bride who will be presented to Christ in heaven. Isn't that an amazing thing? This is what Paul keeps his eye on. And finally, Paul deals with his perspective. Verses 16 to 18. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Which is an amazing thing to say after going through all of these things. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. In other words, I don't give up because of fear. Not giving up because I'm afraid. I'm not going to be a coward and run off. I do not lose heart. I do not lose courage. He says, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So he, he, he knows in his own body and the people around him would see it that he ain't the man he used to be. And I'm that way too. I can't do the things I used to do. I don't want to do the things I used to do. It's too hard, right? It hurts too much. And it hurts the next day and the next day, right? I mean, I know you young people don't get this yet, but everybody else does. That's life. That's life. Like, life is like that. We cannot do the things we used to do. I can't see the things I used to see. And my wife tells me I can't hear the things I'm supposed to hear. Right? But that's the reality 
of what Paul is saying. My outward body is wasting away. And so it will be for all of us. It is inevitable. He says, but the inward man is being renewed daily. See, Paul says, you know, yeah, my outward body is wasting away, but that doesn't really matter. Because the important part, my inward man, is being renewed and is growing and maturing daily. Because he knows what matters. Because what's going to happen to my physical body and yours? It's going to turn into dust, right? It's going to be nothing. I will be raised with a new body, a glorified body, but what I have right now, it's going the way of the dodo. It's done. And I don't know how much time I have. You don't know either. But whatever it is you've got, I mean, we should look after it, but remember, it's going to go away. But your inward self, your spirit, is never going to die. One way or the other, it'll never, ever pass away. So he wants us to keep that perspective of what's important. And then he talks about his affliction and he says, so not only does he say this incredible thing, therefore we do not lose heart. If I went through the things Paul went through, I'd probably lose heart. Paul says we don't lose heart. And you know why? Because the persecution that he was dealing with is light and momentary affliction. So the Greek words there are basically saying, he says, you know, these troubles, he said, these troubles are like weightless. They're nothing. And he said the affliction that he is undergoing is, yeah, it's tough, but it's only for right now. It's not forever. So it is weightless and it is temporal. That's how he describes his difficulties. And then he says, but he says, what I'm waiting for is the eternal weight of glory. The things that I'm going through right now, the, the, the hardships and disappointments of life are weightless and temporal. But glory, oh, that's got some weight to it. It's heavy. It's something that I can hold on to, and it will never go away. And that's what he's holding on to. He's not, he's not holding on to the mess around him. He's saying, one day, this is all going to be gone, sooner than I think. But the eternal weight of glory will be there forever. And then in verse 18, he says, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I'm just going to read a quote to you from uh, Albert Barnes about the things that are seen. He can say it way better than I can. He said, it is true of all things here below. Wealth, pleasure, and fame, the three idols which the people of this world adore, 
are all to endure but for a little while. They will all soon vanish away. So it is with pain and sorrow and tears. All that we enjoy and all that we suffer here must soon vanish and disappear. The most splendid palace will decay. The most costly goods will molder to dust. The most magnificent city will fall to ruins. The most exquisite earthly pleasures will soon come to an end. And the most extended possessions can be enjoyed but a little time. So the acutest pain will, be, will soon be over. The most lingering disease will soon cease. The evils of the deepest poverty and want and suffering will soon be past. There is nothing on which the eye can fix, nothing that the heart can desire here, which will not soon fade away. Or if it survives, it is, in temporary, it is temporary in regard to us. We must soon leave these things to others. And if enjoyed, it will be enjoyed while our bodies are slumbering in the grave and our souls are engaged in the deep solemnities of eternity. How foolish then to make these our portion and to fix our affection supremely on the things of this life. How foolish also to be very deeply affected by the trials of this life, which at the furthest can be endured but a little longer before we shall be forever beyond their reach. I can't say it better than that. The things of this life, good and bad, difficulties and joys, they will be over and they will be over soon. So let's not keep our eyes fixed upon them. So verse 18 talks about the things that are unseen. And I just want you to think for a minute, what are the things that we should be looking at that are unseen to this world? And I thought, well, what are the things that are eternal? So we have the things that are unseen. First of all, we have God himself uh, revealed to us in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They will never pass away. They will never change. They will never be different. And someday, when we die, we will see our Savior face to face. We will see Him. What else is eternal? The church. The gathering of all believers. We know some of us here now. Someday, all believers will be gathered together in heaven. And that will never change. That will never go away. We'll be there forever. Together. And we'll be there because Christ saved us, redeemed us, and brought us to himself. We can be sure of that. What else is eternal? The joys of heaven. No sin. No sadness. No darkness. No death, no disappointments, no pain. That will be forever. And we can bank on that. It's going to be that way. It will be that way forever. The other thing we have to be remember that is eternal, and this should sober us as well, is that hell is eternal as well. 
God's judgment on those who refuse to follow him and on Satan and his angels, hell is forever. And it will be forever. And it will not end. It will not pass away. That needs to make us thankful for what we have. It needs to, to, to make us fall down before the Lord and say, why would you love me so? But also we need to remember that the eternity of hell is a encouragement to us to know that all of the rights, all the wrongs in this world will be made right. That there will come a day when everything will be set right. And we need to remember that this is something that we cannot see with our eyes here on this earth. But scripture tells us it is true and it is forever. So finally, as I close this morning, so what are the hindrances to our to us being thankful? Because for Paul, it wasn't his circumstances. Paul didn't have this, well, you know, life's a real bummer right now and I just don't have anything to thank God for. He said, in spite of all of these things, I'm thankful. Praise God. How do we do that? And what are the things that, when I look at my own life and I look at the lives of people around me, what, what are those hindrances that are going to stifle our thankfulness? First of all, like we just looked at, looking at the seen and forgetting the unseen. Because the thing is, is that when I have my eyes on the things that are seen, when I have my eyes on the things that are around me, they draw me in and I get so caught up in chasing nothing. I have no time to chase what is eternal. I forget that all of these things that are around me, all the things that I see are going to be gone. Everything's going to be gone. So what am I doing spending my time here? And when I do those things, I'm dishonoring the Lord because I'm doing exactly what he told me not to do. And then I wonder why it's like, well, why are things so frustrating? And why does it seem like uh, things aren't working out? And, you know, like the Lord knocking at the door and saying, Matt, remember what I told you? Remember what Paul talked about? The things that are seen and the things that are unseen. What are you looking for? What are you investing in? The other thing that will seriously harm us and always does is sin in our lives. If I'm not willing to open up God's word and live by it, it's going to rob me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to rob myself of all kinds of joy because when I sin, I experience separation from my Lord and Savior. The joy that I am supposed to be enjoying with my Heavenly Father is not there. I mean, the picture in a family is the same way. When there's strife in the home, no one's happy. Right? And when, when those issues are taken care of, when amends are made, Relationships are restored. 
Happiness comes back. Peace comes back, right? That's how we experience these things in our relationships. Our marriage is the same way, right? When we're harboring anger and bitterness and, you know, jealousy, whatever it is, against our spouse, and there's, there's tension and there's separation. And, and when we get past that, when we apologize to each other, and when we, we come before each other and admit what we've done, it's better. Right? You don't have to go tiptoeing through the kitchen wondering if she's going to take your head off again. Or you don't have to wonder, like, what's the next phone call going to be like? Or anything like that. Because it's, it's over. And that relationship is restored again. Well, it's no different with our Lord and Savior. That's why we need to regularly, daily, we need to come before the Lord. And as part of our prayers, we need to confess our sins. We need to. We need to tell him, Lord, I've failed. We need to tell him, Lord, I've blown it. And then rest in the fact that he said, I'm going to forgive you. And then move on. But if we don't live a life of confession, we're fooling ourselves. We don't clear our slate with the Lord. And then we wonder why he's so far away. He hasn't gone anywhere, by the way. It's us that have left. He's still in the same spot waiting for us. Now, not trusting in God's promises, not trusting in God's word is another thing that will severely hamper us in being thankful and living a vibrant Christian life for, for, for him. And if you, the problem that we have most of the time is that we've forgotten what they are. And we've forgotten them what they are because if we're going to open up our scriptures, we've got to blow all the dust off at first and then go, hmm, I wonder what's in here, right? And I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying that to me first. If I want to know what God's promises are, I've got to open this up and I've got to figure out what they are and I've got to read them. You know, when all this stuff with COVID started, started happening, one of the things I did was I read through the book of Revelation. And the reason why I did that is because I needed encouragement to know that in all of the upset that's going on and all of the mess that we're dealing with, who's in control? Thank goodness it's not the government, right? Thank goodness it's not the health officer. It's God. And he has control of the end. He's got control of this now. And it gave me such peace. But you know what? I needed to go there and read it. I need to remember that God has all of this under control. He has the end under control. And he will do it all. His way. His time. Guaranteed. I needed to read that. You know what? I need to read it again. And again. And again. We all need to. So two, two things that God talks about in Scripture as we close. In the Old Testament, God chastises the people for not, not listening to him. In Jeremiah, he says this. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And have hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. 
we need to remember that we do that sometimes too. We're trying to get water for ourselves and we've made broken tanks to put it in. And then we wonder why we're so thirsty. And yet God is there saying, I am the source of all living water and we won't go to him. Or we neglect him. Second of all, Haggai chapter 1 and verse 6. He talks to the people and he says, You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink and you're not filled. You're clothed and you're not warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put them in a bag full of holes. As I think about my own life and the um, struggles, how many times have I put my possessions and my inheritance in bags full of holes? And you know what? The, the, the truth of Scripture to all of us is, if we'll follow him, if we will keep our eyes on the things that are unseen, and forget the things that are seen. And remember that our inheritance is an eternal inheritance with him, not a good pension. Okay, that's our inheritance. Our inheritance is in heaven. Not this. Not grandchildren. Not a home in Florida. Not good health. None of those things. Our inheritance is in heaven. So let's stop putting money in bags full of holes Let's stop putting water into broken tanks. And let's look to the Lord like Paul did. So we will not lose heart. And we will look forward to that day. We will see him face to face. And we'll be truly thankful in all things. Even when death is staring us face in the, in the face, which will happen to all of us, by the way. We will be thankful and praise him. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your message to our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to see the unseen and help us to forget what is seen in front of us. Help us to look to you. Help us to look to your word and live in that reality. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.